0: is the Workplace Briefcase, a monthly podcast brought to you by Mapian Workplace Strategists. Mapian is the most trusted bespoke people consultancy in the Asia Pacific. For almost 40 years, we have provided employers with solutions on every aspect of people in the workplace. Our clients say we take the stress out of stressful situations. We help you align your people with your organization's objectives. And our promise is to maximise the people impact needed to achieve your vision. My name's Troy Greed, Principal Consultant at Mappian Workplace Strategists. I'm the host of Mappian's new podcast series, The Workplace Briefcase. This podcast provides a unique insight into the complex environments of the Australian workplace and the challenges facing the human resources function. My aim is is to give you exclusive insights from the people in the know when it comes to all things employment, including industrial relations and, of course, human resources. I hope you enjoy the series as much as I did putting it together. Today's guest has 40 years' experience in workplace and industrial relations. We're talking to the Honourable Graham Watson, who's been involved and settled some of the biggest and most publicised industrial relations cases in Australian workplace history. Considered the workplace warrior by the Australian Financial Review, Graham has served as the Vice President of the Australian Industrial Relations and Fair Work Commissions. More recently, he was the Senior Ministerial IR Advisor to the Federal Government from 2018 to 21, helping draft the IR reform proposed to Parliament under the Morrison Government earlier this year. In 2017, Graham famously made headlines when his resignation from the Fair Work Commission to the Governor-General was made public through a letter to the then Minister of Employment, Michaela Cash, citing his resignation was based off the business community's views of the Commission being partisan, dysfunctional and divided. The most decorated IR expert in Australia has now partnered with one of the most prominent workplace law firms, Cause Chambers Westgarth, and the high-profile appointment already looks to be paying dividends for John Tuck and the team at Cause as Graham forges his way back to his roots, helping Australia's biggest companies navigate their way through the complexities of enterprise bargaining. In this episode, we speak to Graham about his industrial relations journey and the evolution of enterprise bargaining, from ex-prime ministers receiving massages in the courtroom to defending the industrial relations dinosaurs from fossilising and extinction. This episode has a bit of everything. We deep dive into IR reform, discuss the slow death of enterprise bargaining and the fundamental changes required for business productivity through bargaining on the other side of COVID. Graham shares his advice, his suggestions, and ideas on how businesses need to adjust when crafting their EA bargaining strategies. Welcome to the Workplace Briefcase, Episode 2, Industrial Relations, Frustrations, and Bargaining Ramifications. After our podcast with Dave Ulrich in Episode 1, we... We really stretched ourselves in terms of raising the bar with, with who we interview. Um, we're happy with that, with this stretch because we think the next guest is, in fact, uh, another big-ticket item, and we continue to raise the bar. He was He was hard to get. I sent my people to speak to his people, but I'm glad to say that today... Our guest for episode two on the workplace briefcase is Graham Watson. Graham, welcome to the workplace briefcase. Very pleased to be here, Troy. Great to see you. Excellent. And Graham, I just realised at the day of recording today that it's actually Are You OK Day. Uh, It would be um, be wise of me to to check in and and, and see that you're okay and, and how's Lockdown treating Graham Watson. Have you learnt any new skills? Are you how do you fill the time?
1: Look, um, it's uh, it's quite good. Uh, good working arrangements in lockdown. I've had uh, a number of calls I've made to uh, today to a number of uh, longstanding members of my golf club. I'm on the board of the golf club, and uh, I think there's a lot of people doing it a lot harder than you and I, Troy even with your young family uh, and uh, people that are living alone um, and uh, you know, not being able to get out and about. Uh, but we've, uh, we've been in touch with them, had a bit of a chat just to check how they're going, a few things we can help with them. And uh, uh, it's, uh, they're very appreciative of the contact and uh, uh, I'm sure we'll get through. Um, very frustrating as it is
0: yeah i tend to agree i've made uh, i made a few phone calls to a few friends who i haven't spoken to for a while this morning i've got a few more to to get back to this afternoon but i agree it's uh it's a tough time but uh, some of us have you know in, in a better position like us than others so yeah i'm certainly grateful for being able to work but also try different things like this podcast or bet. i'm sort of strutting around the house uh posing to be someone like Darren hinch i might get there one day but uh much to my wife's disgust but, <laughs> well, it's, uh... I, hope you don't,
1: I hope you don't get to be like Darren Hinch. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, um, but, uh, no, I did enjoy your first podcast, uh, Troy. I think that was uh, very interesting with Dave. And uh, I was a bit concerned about you at one occasion when he, he identified you as an IR guy. And I think he basically said uh, IR is for dinosaurs, isn't it, or something to that effect? It's, it's a thing of the past, and I just wondered whether you resembled that remark.
0: Not at all, and I, I think we might have edited further more than, uh, than, than Dave actually alluded to, um, particularly the, the dinosaur quote, given that, Several individuals, including yourself, were, were on the radar to, to interview, and that's by uh, no stretch a reflection of uh, of the IR professionals. I, I did query myself if that would fall uh, or find me in a little bit of trouble. Oh, look, Dave was exceptional, but like I said before, we've raised the bar to a whole new level today, and I'm sure there's plenty of people listening that um, that are certainly uh, interested in, in your insight uh, among uh, a lot of the hot topics in IR at the moment. But I think it's important that we understand a little bit more about Graham Watson, and, and interestingly, just before the, the, the recent lockdown, you and I caught up, we, we had a coffee face-to-face. Um, and five minutes in, you, you take a call from the AFR editor. Uh, that's Michael Stutchbury He's seeking your comments on the uh, Rosado High Court decision. You've come a long way since the, the days at the University of Sydney. Did you ever imagine that that all that time ago, You'd be taking calls from the likes of, of Michael and the AFR, and you know, that would just become a, a matter of procedure. It, you know that you'd eventually, realistically, become you know, the most influential industrial lawyer in Australia. Did you ever imagine that that this is where you'd end up?
1: Well, I don't know whether receiving a call from Michael Stutchbury is the height of the uh, height of everything, but um, it was a good editorial in the end. Uh, any editorial that uh, starts off. Uh, writing about casual employment and uh, talks about the castle and quotes from the castle must be pretty good. Um, it was a good editorial. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, thought leadership uh, is uh, fundamental importance. So it can't be anything more important than that, uh, something that I'm uh, very keen to contribute to. and But to answer your question, in no way would I have predicted that. And... Um, uh, I've continued to surprise myself as to the, the developments in my career. I'm towards the end of my career, but I hope to achieve a lot more in, the, uh, in what's left of it. Um, and, yeah, totally surprised. In fact, um, I might just let you into a little secret, Troy, if you don't tell anyone, that uh, uh, I actually had trouble getting into a law faculty to study law. Uh, and and when I finished my law degree uh, I decided I didn't want to practice law it was uh, not the sort of uh, thing that I was interested in so I got a job um, working in industrial relations that's how I started and uh, uh, through that later moved into the law and was able to combine the legal qualifications and uh, the the practical skills uh, that I I got working at an aluminium smelter, and uh, it all came together. And, uh, yes, whether it's a call from the editor of the, the AFR or giving an address to the European Labor Court Judges Conference uh, or uh, catching up with the members of the National Labor Relations Board in the US or the President of the Employment Appeals Tribunal in the UK, Um These have been fantastic experiences over the years and uh, uh, no way did I predict that I would be in that space. But it's like anything, you know, if you find your niche, you find uh, something that really interests you and you can develop with, you work out how you add value in your career, um, uh, then, yeah, you can achieve a lot more. And, you know, my personal motto Everyone's got their own little guiding motto, what their mother told them over their shoulder or whatever. It wasn't my mother telling me this, but my motto is uh, achieve your full potential. And uh, I guess I wouldn't have uh, been satisfied unless I did achieve my full potential. And uh, I think I've exceeded it many times over as it's turned out.
0: I think a lot of people would agree. And, and speaking of experiences, I was having a conversation with uh, one of our directors, Belinda Honey, yesterday, um, and your, your name was, was mentioned during that conversation, um, and she was talking about the, uh, the CRA uh, Weeper dispute um, back in the mid-'90s, and she was telling me a story um, around this particular case that you were involved in, um, but it also involved um, Bob Hawke. Um, her recollection of, of this hearing that she was involved in was that Bob Hawke was called back in um, by the ACTU out of retirement after his prime ministership uh, as an advocate for the, for the ACTU. And during breaks in in proceedings, his his wife Blanche would would come up and give him massages over the over the top just to relax him. Do, do you recall a, an event like that?
1: Absolutely true story. Uh, abs- it happened regularly. Bob was having difficulty with the, the sore neck uh, during the course of the hearing. Blanche was sitting uh, on the second of the bar tables in courtroom number one in um, 80 Williams Street, Sydney and uh, she would be massaging his shoulders at every every opportunity. Um, there are lots of interesting scenes in that case. Uh, Bob Hawke uh, cross-examined one of the truck drivers from Weeper, and this guy, uh, uh, Rusty, was his uh, his Christian name, and he'd agreed to go to staff employment, and Bob Hawke was... Uh, was cross-examining him and couldn't understand why he would agree to do this and leave the union and the union systems and the bargaining systems. And uh, this truck driver um, said to Bob Hawke, "Um, you know, you really haven't undertaken the paradigm shift. Um, it is pretty unusual for a witness, especially a truck driver, um, to say that to a former prime minister. <laughs> but uh, it was a it was a very good response to the the questions he was getting. And but I think there was also the other other side of the story. Part of industrial relations is it doesn't matter what the result is; you always claim victory. And uh, Bob Hawke was pretty good at that, even though I don't think the result was actually a victory for the union movement and. Um, there hasn't been any collective bargaining at Weber since that dispute in the mid nineteen nineties. Um, there is ongoing staff employment applying at that operation, as with a number of the other CRA operations, Rio Tinto operations. Uh, but uh, the decision was handed down. Uh, Bob Hawke attended for the decision. He then went and gave a press conference and gave hugs to the um, the union members uh, that had come along for the case and, uh, and of course, he claimed victory and he was so emotional, a very emotional person throughout his life, one of his endearing characteristics. And a tear came to his eye uh, as he was uh, claiming victory in the press conference. And uh, Tanberg in The Age wrote a wrote a cartoon of Bob Hawke with a tear coming to his eye and the caption was the weeper dispute. <laughs> uh, that was the best cartoon out of that, that particular case.
0: And it's look, it's the year 2021, you know, we reflect on those types of cases, but in terms of where we're at now, um, I mean, look, a lot of us including yourself would probably want to forget 2021. Um, and actually, for that matter, twenty twenty included, if you if you're living in Melbourne, but we've we've had some big I've cases. As I mentioned before we had the um, Rosado, we've got COVID nineteen mandatory vaccines IR reform, we'll get to that. Wage theft, award compliance—you know, the gig economy and sham contracting. Uh, you know, the, the Fair Works PR agenda. I sat in on an information um, session yesterday where they're they're starting to roll out a few initiatives. You know, there's a lot going on. It's a pretty good time to be working in industrial relations. I think. Do you agree?
1: I think it's very important for business and uh, and the economy generally. It's always been quite important, but I think. Uh, Combination of the economic impact of the pandemic, uh, a building on other changes, automation, artificial intelligence, uh, changes in community values that have occurred, uh, and uh, uh, it means that now in the recovery phase. Uh, big issues for business all relate to employees, how they're treated, how you deal with them, how you transform a business, the impact on employees. All those things are, are fundamental for business and, and they need to be embraced and understood and acted upon by the senior levels of business. It's not just a matter of the HR professionals um, or um, the IR advocates or service providers or whatever being active in their normal space. This is really strategic matters for businesses generally and they're all in that space,
0: uh, very challenging times. Mm. And, and I mentioned to you um, earlier this week when we caught up, there was a report last week. Um, a federal parliamentary committee um, got together. They've, they're looking to create a, a new... Uh, what they call the Fair Work Inspectorate to replace what is the, the Fair Work Ombudsman. A lot of the focus that they're proposing um, is to focus on dodgy visa arrangements. Uh, and they're talking about giving unions, um, or union officials rather, more power to audit businesses on such things like visas. Um, being in Victoria, the unions do have a lot of access in comparison to some of the other states. But with this as well, do we, we might as well just throw them the keys.
1: Oh, look, I think um, we've got to be serious about compliance, and uh, I think uh, we've got a highly regulated system, a very high safety net. But historically, it hasn't been complied with across the board, and and that we're now seeing the the, the consequences of that, uh, you know, starting with Seven Eleven and uh, moving into the, the restaurant space. Uh, the the enforce the actual enforcement ensuring that people are complying with their obligations has uh, come far more onto the radar. Uh, I think six hundred people lost their job as a result of George Columbaris's restaurant chain going under as a result of that, and a lot of it was uh, just sort of loose uh, loose practices uh, rather than any any deliberate uh, form, and he certainly wasn't alone in, in that sector in terms of practices. And now the big end of town are uh, under the microscope as well. Uh, Fair Work Ombudsman has recovered significantly greater amounts of money on behalf of employees, and uh, this whole compliance matter has uh, become uh, a very big issue, including uh, wage theft um legislation in Victoria, the validity of which is uh, somewhat questionable, but anyway, that'll play out. Uh, and uh, But I think we've got to be serious about that. One of the, one of the, the negatives of it, of course, is that while you're looking at uh, compliance and all of the details there and whether the payroll matches the award or agreement obligations, you're not looking at best practice. You're not looking at taking the organisation forward. And I think uh, that has also held us back, unfortunately, and we need to move beyond the compliance issues and move towards business and work transformation to set up into the future.
0: Mm. And speaking of complexities, um, before your role, which you're in now at, at Cause, of course, and we'll, and we'll get into that, you um, your one of your most high-profile roles was the role um, in your senior IR advisory role to the Attorney-General's Department. Um, the The day that the bill that you were essentially the architecture of um, was, uh, or the day before rather, was, was ragdolled by the Senate um, and then essentially uh, the following day um, you, you left that post. Where did IR reform go wrong if it did go wrong, Graeme, in terms of that reformed agenda? Why, why did why did, why didn't a majority of it or a lot of it get through? Why are we still in the same position we're essentially in now? Well,
1: yeah, very unfortunate the whole package didn't get through and uh, it was the result of a lot of work of a lot of people in the system, through mm. working groups, uh, trying to reach consensus. Um, There wasn't a lot of consensus at the end of the day. I think uh, last year there was some good collaboration between the union movement and business and government on pandemic issues, health and safety issues, as well as the JobKeeper system. That was all very positive. But when it came to subsequent reforms for the recovery, there wasn't the same consensus and even matters like... uh, uh, the ability to make longer greenfields agreements uh, for the, to extend to the full life of a, a project so you could have some stability and encourage investment in some of these major projects. Uh, it's a bit of a no-brainer. And uh, Bill Shorten had given the nod that he was supportive of it uh, prior to the last election. Um, but uh, it just, just wasn't uh, uh, worthwhile for the unions to agree to even that. And um, so uh, there are the issues of award complexity. There's some work being done in the Fair Work Commission to uh, continue to address those matters. There's been some movement there, which is welcome, Um, and hopefully that's a start of more um, reduction in complexity and more flexibility in the system. And the other changes included the compliance regime, toughening up on deliberate uh, underpayment, and significant underpayment and potential criminalisation. I think that will come in time. But there was there was a balance of uh, reforms. There were many things that were very much uh, uh, in favour of employees and many that were, were designed to simplify the system, such as the enterprise bargaining system, which is what the unions want as well as employers want. Uh, The system is too complex and people are moving away from it, Um, partly uh, because of the complexity and the hassle involved in it. So it's a pity that those changes didn't happen.
0: Mm.
1: Um, And at the end of the day, um, the votes uh, come down to crossbenchers and crossbenchers uh, make their call based on the representations that are made to them. Um, including um, the potential for campaigns to be run against them in the upcoming elections. So uh, the the range of factors that come into their consideration is very broad uh, rather than simply the merits of the matter. And, uh, you know, you can be told, look, we get the policy, we get the policy, we can see the sense behind this. Uh, Yes, it is sensible, yes, it is balanced, but it's the politics. The politics uh, uh, is preventing us vote and, and uh, forward. And it's very difficult to deal with. Um, so uh, a lot of it comes down to that. But I will say that the change to the casual employment provisions was a major reform, a very sensible and balanced reform, uh, cured the problems that had been created by federal court decisions and ultimately subsequently found to be uh, based on a correct view of the law, according to the High Court and the 7-0 uh, judgment. So, And again, those reforms were balanced in themselves in that there are new rights for employees to seek casual conversion, uh, which are enhanced from the rights granted by the Fair Work Commission. So I think there was a very balanced approach. I think um, uh, some of those things will come around again um, but I think process highlights the difficulty in a in a politically polarised environment to to get changes uh, uh, when you've got powerful lobby groups uh, um, campaigning against it.
0: And that's a nice little segue into a question I've been dying to ask you, Graeme. So I want to now stay with me here ignore how the law is passed in Australia for a minute, well, anywhere for that matter. Ignore the Senate. Uh, ignore the House of Representatives. Just forget about anything to do with politics. The political will, it's gone out the window. You get a call from Michaela Cash this afternoon. Graeme, it's Michaela. We need you back. Uh, the borders are opening. Mark and Gladys have conceded. They're going to open their borders come January uh, it's back to business as usual. We need to really launch this uh, this COVID recovery. She gives you the green light, of course, with uh, Scott Morrison's uh, ticket of approval as well, to, to basically do a two-month assignment to change what you think needs to change to kick-start the economy through workplace legislation. You have got this blank canvas. What do you do? Well, with a
1: compliance sound, everyone on, on board, um, yes, you might be able to do something sensible. Um <laughs> But look, I, I think the the centerpiece of any industrial relations system should be the safety net. I think it should be set at a fair level that encourages employment uh, and is easy to comply with, and uh, provides uh, this, the benefits to the community of a high wage economy that we have. Uh, we have the highest minimum wage rate in the world and on top of that we have all the award rates with higher rates again and then we have the content of awards and allowances and everything else on top of that as well all as minimum obligations across the economy um, and we have other other leave entitlements some things that are uh, unprecedented in the world. That, that to me is the centrepiece of uh, a system and that uh, from a government perspective, is something that should be set at a fair level. And beyond that, the parties should be free to make other arrangements so long as they don't undermine the safety net. They can make other arrangements and needn't be formalised agreements, approved by any tribunal or judged against anything in particular. Those minimum standards should be complied with and uh, and the parties are free to make any other arrangements, either through collective bargaining or individual agreement making. Hmm. And that essentially is is the system that applies in comparable economies. It uh, applies in the UK, applies in in New Zealand. Yeah, I was uh, going to say and New Zealand. Those economies have actually um, had their their industrial systems, their employment regulatory systems help the economy, create jobs and uh, business opportunities. Um, So uh, I think we should be moving to something like that. And uh, um, I think it uh, fits in with uh, international standards and it couldn't be criticised as unfair because you've got a very solid safety net.
0: Imagine, Imagine a world where we didn't have to get agreements uh, formalised by a, by an arbitrary or a, a court system, and we were in a situation like New Zealand where once you've got a deal, you've got a deal, obviously, with those minimum standards. Um, I wonder, though, in a more unionised environment like Australia, with you know New Zealand not being as unionised, however, they're on their way with, with their uh, government and the reform that they're actually pushing over there, they're going the opposite way, um, how long it would take to get an enterprise agreement up. Enterprise bargaining in in Australia, Graham, you've seen the stats, I've seen the stats, we've all seen the stats. Is it is it a death of a thousand cuts? Like it's it's I mean, notwithstanding COVID restrictions and being able to get into the room to negotiate, which, you know, I'm experiencing and, and, and probably a lot of your colleagues including yourself, but does it continue to decline until there's changes made or what can be done, you know, to, to give it the spark that it needs? Well, is it um, is giving
1: it a spark of good things, Troy?
0: That's um, a good question.
1: Way to look at it. Mm. Um, there used to be 25,000 federal enterprise agreements in operation um, and uh, current enterprise agreements. Now there's less than 10,000. And the decline has been continuing, uh, around about a 25% decline just in the last four years. So um, that decline is continuing. Um, I think it's a product of a number of different things, some of which are uh, unhealthy in terms of I think the award compliance matter means that a lot of people are focusing on just complying with their obligations and not making arrangements in excess of that or going back to the award even though they might have had over-award arrangements. Um, But... uh, now, what is what at the end of the day is really the benefit of having an enterprise agreement, and that depends very much on the nature of your industry, the nature of the workforce, the relationships with the workforce, the extent of engagement with your employees. Uh, and there's very limited ability to modify provisions of an award. Um, you can do it at the edges as long as you compensate by other. Over award benefits, so you can you can get some advantage by making an agreement, but it's far more limited than it was thought to be in the past. Um, that has meant that you know, major retailers are not looking at making agreements in the same way that they they have in the past. The other benefit is that it provides some stability and protection against negotiations, uh, protected industrial action, and. Uh, logs of claims and renegotiating agreements and the like, either from existing unions or new ones coming in. There are some disruptor unions um, emerging. And that's important um, if if you're vulnerable um, to that sort of pressure. But if you've got your employees on side, that they're happy with the terms and conditions, they're being treated fairly, and and they're actually not interested in... um, in enterprise bargaining, and they're not um, pressured to, um, or not wishing to join unions and engage in more bargaining. Um, bearing in mind, there's less than ten percent of the private sector workforce are members of unions, and mm-hmm. a lot of those are concentrated on in particular industries and and uh, uh, and businesses. So a lot more, a lot less than ten percent of businesses have uh, a significant union presence. Uh, and so if you've got a good relationship, you've got good engagement, uh, why do you need a formal enterprise agreement? Why do you go through every three or four years the process of logs of claims and um, bargaining and uh, uh, everything that's involved in that, uh, protective action ballots and um, um, all of the games that happen in that are a feature of some industries? If you can avoid it, um, why not? And many, many industries uh, are avoiding it and more and more industries and businesses uh, are looking to do so. And um, I I believe that uh, most businesses want to treat their employees well and fairly, Um, and I think that most employees want their business to succeed as well, so they want to do the best for their business. So when you get that dynamic happening in a healthy way, constructive way, um, a lot of that depends on the leadership of, uh, of an organisation and uh, all levels of leadership, including frontline supervision. But if you get an organisation with that level of sophistication and engagement, then why would you want an enterprise agreement? Mm.
0: And, and I, like probably anyone else listening to this, um, would take great interest in in what you're saying at the moment. and I, And I... And I ask if so. Your your new role, um, you know, your your you understand the complexities. I mean, you probably know better than anyone. Uh, I know them, no way near as good as you. So let's remove that that um, Dave called industrial relations uh, specialist dinosaurs. But your 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 role now at Cause, you are looking to promote strategies uh, like you just mentioned before, because. And the reason I ask, and this is a topic that, that myself and my colleagues talk about quite regularly, is the biggest frustration that we've got is is you know, getting companies to hold the line. so sticking to their strategy, you know investing all this time and money into a process, and then they cave. They accept all the claims, they've been scared off by the uh, industrial action, you know and then all that initial investment, well, it was for nothing. Um, you know, we've got the you know the union, as you mentioned, everyone's a winner. Uh, the union are claiming uh, that they've won, and, and to be fair, they have. Um, and in some cases, that has a huge impact or effect on an industry, uh, those industries that you're just talking about before. So you know, what, what's your role? What's, what, what are you and John doing at Cause to, you know, to work with, with your clients more to, to you know, get their strategies right for the things that you just spoke about?
1: Yeah, look, I, I wouldn't be too offended if I were you about being called a dinosaur, Troy. And um, uh, but I think you know you've really got to, really got to think of where you stand uh, on all of this. I mean, uh, are you really part of the system? Are you a dinosaur, or are you um, are you an environmentalist? Are you helping you know save the dinosaurs? Are you supporting the dinosaurs? Um, or are you on the side of the meteor shower um, that um, yeah, leads to the uh, extinction of the of the dinosaurs? And I've got to say, I, I don't I don't really disagree with um, with Dave on this. I think IR is uh, is something that uh, um, most businesses are better off without. Uh, they're better off uh, with. Uh, you know, strong HR principles that lead the way rather than being dictated to by the IR system. And um, uh, I, I think there's great benefits for a business and uh, potentially great business, great potential for employees uh, out of that, uh, that engagement. So it's necessary to look at the current situation of a business, transforming business, recovering from the pandemic, Um, all sorts of new challenges from technology. And I think uh, a key objective for many businesses will be how can we operate to the optimum level without being dragged down by the IR system? How do you actually manage uh, around it in a way that um, it doesn't, uh, doesn't impact adversely on your business? And that does involve looking at all of the different elements involved, the dynamics within your workforce and your employees principally, um, but also the the rights and obligations uh, of uh, unions uh, in relation to your business, the role of a tribunal, uh, the sort of powers that might be exercised generally, um, the, the impact of reforms, potential reforms from government and changes to legislation and you know in order to have a, a strategy you need to actually understand and predict how how things will pan out if you take a certain course of action you need to understand it intimately and it's not simply reading the legislation and uh, And describing as a lawyer what it means or reading decisions and uh, extracting the the ratio from those decisions. It's far more than that. If you're going to add real value, you need uh, a winning strategy and you can't have a winning strategy unless you can predict uh, how things are going to pan out and how you can uh, use the different levers to your advantage in order to achieve the outcome. So it's that... um, that high-level offering, which is essential to a successful transformation and operation uh, within the system. And that's why you need uh, the experts in the field and uh, collaborating with uh, various people that operate at different levels. Uh, service providers like your organisations, Troy, are critical to, to this as well. And you need um, um, uh, a top-flight winning strategy at the end of the day and that involves multiple components. Um, and I think uh, business, there's a thirst for business in business for that, um, that product um, and um, uh, businesses will find that the investment they make in developing and implementing a good strategy will pay for itself uh, many, many times over, you know? Um, it's, it's the sort of example of the Weeper dispute where you know, they haven't had to be involved in collective bargaining for the last uh, uh, 25 years. Um, that's a lot, of, um, a lot of time to spend on productivity, improvement and uh, looking after the employees and you know, building the business and the, the culture within the business positive things that you like to see in a successful operations and the mining sector in Australia is is actually um, top rate um, on a world standard it's um, highly productive good culture good practices very well paid um, yeah you know, that's the sort of thing that it would be good to utilize uh, in more businesses uh, if we can.
0: Interesting. That was very, very insightful. And yeah, look, it's a big one. We, you know, particularly where we're, we're, the, the clients that we're working with at the moment, we're, we're trying to do a lot more work around, you know, that the culture and getting the employees on board, um, using yeah, using the workforce to, you know, improve the, the productivity without getting caught up in those in those details and the complexities that, that come along with bargaining. Um, will we get to a to a you know, to a day where you know it is a lot more productive. Um, hopefully the system is what the system is. I, I guess. Um, but it's being able to, like you said, yeah, utilize utilize what we know and those experiences. I think uh, that
1: the the other element to that that um, I should have mentioned is that you need buy-in by senior senior levels of the organisation. If you look at all of the successful exercises that have occurred, the leaders have understood fully what's involved, uh, what the prize was going to be, and they have uh, researched and got the assistance around them to to have uh, that best strategy which they buy into. If you don't have that and you've got uh, other levels of organisations having difficulties managing up as well as Managing down, and yes, uh, it all gets too hard, and uh, the company caves. In the example you gave, well, you basically taught um, the unions uh, uh, how to win next time, and and uh, who could blame them from behaving in exactly the same way? Mm. What you need to do is, uh, you know, really get that firm commitment uh, and buy-in, and. Uh, the confidence of the senior leadership to to carry through with it, and and then you need to deliver, uh, and when you, when you can, when you do deliver, the, there's a significant prize, and there's plenty of examples of that.
0: Mm. The yeah, and I think from a workaround point of view, there is a serious question as to whether or not you know we we you know enterprise bargaining is a thing of the past, and um, you know it, it does look like that 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 the parties are working towards sort of creating something that's easier to to construct i mean i like i said sat on a information session with uh, Deputy President Masson yesterday. He's doing information sessions, or the commission is, rather on on uh, awards and some of the um, complexities or, or issues that they're seeing with submission of, of enterprise agreements. The commission, I tip my cap to them, they copped a lot of criticism over the last 12 or 18 months, even longer, particularly in terms of turnaround and uh, the issues with the, the better off overall test, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they're implementing... Um, digital they're they're moving into the new world um and they're maybe the proof will be when it comes out but they're they're, they're trying to eliminate um human um errors uh and the, you know the ones that we've seen over the years whether it be the a spelling mistake in the rep rights or a staple or, or or those types of things so hopefully we can all come um, together at one point and in, in, in a new system um it's better for everyone. In reality, um, your role at Cause, Graham. If people want to get in contact with you, how do they go about that?
1: Um, well, I think uh, contact details are on the
0: website.
1: Um, I've got uh, a very strong national team. We have offices in Perth, uh, Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne. Um, we've got uh, a great team of partners and a great. Team of uh, junior lawyers as well that are all going to benefit from uh, the involvement in in these exercises, um, and uh, so uh, and and we've got uh, great interest from clients and great interest from other lawyers looking to join us as well and be part of the the team. It's really about uh, being. Uh, being the go-to firm in this area to deal with the most difficult areas, and and produce the best results, so um, it's uh, it's exciting for me at my time of my career to um, to help cause on this journey. Um, and uh, but I think just the the economic circumstances and everything with the impact of the of the pandemic, but also the the ability that I have to combine my experience on the commission, w- with government, and also with uh, many other major transformative uh, exercises in the past, to bring those learnings together to produce the best strategies and the best results.
0: Well, Graham, good luck in the role. Uh, good luck for the rest of lockdown, and I look forward to uh, to many more articles in the Fin Review. <laughs> well. Um, I'll keep up the thought
1: leadership too, uh, as I say, um, critically important. And, um, yeah, very much enjoyed the, the chat today, Troy, and uh, uh, all the best to you and your organisation. I think you've got a very important role to play. And uh, the first podcast was uh, very entertaining and uh, valuable. So hopefully the series uh, uh, doesn't involve too many dinosaurs Um I wondered about the briefcase, though. Is that? A sort of, do it, does anyone use a briefcase these
0: days? I'm not sure. There's a bit of a story behind the briefcase. We it took a <laughs> it took some creative minds to, to to come up with some of the artwork too. I might add. But unfortunately, there was nothing creative around the actual title of the podcast. It was literally the only one that was available. But it seems to be working. <laughs> okay, yeah, very good. As long as it works. Appreciate your time, Graham. Thanks. Yes. Thank you.